What up, everybody? Too Loud TX here, and in honor of TwitchCon and the great events we got to see this weekend with the Fortnite Invitational and the False Commerce Finals, and in addition, we also got to experience the first Call of Duty event uh, with the Doritos Bowl. I wanted to get somebody on here that was, had some great insight, that was a big name, that got invited to these things. And so we have the YouTuber Drifter on with us. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. There's a lot of insight in here about streaming, about YouTube, how that goes. It's a bit of a different show than we normally have where we just talk about the game or just talk about the pro scene or whatever's going on. Uh, this is more of an in-depth sit-down conversation that I got to have with Drifter. I hope you guys really enjoy it. I hope you can learn something from it. I know I did. And make sure you give him a shout out and tell him how much we appreciate him taking the time to chat with us. Without further ado, let's jump in here and see what he has to say. You're listening to the Fortnite Podcast with your host, Too Loud TX and Monster Defense. What up, what up, what up, and welcome to another episode of the Fortnite Podcast presented to you by DeSoto.com and FortniteIntel.com. Without further ado, I gotta jump in here to our guest. And a very special one for us here today, guys, and I'm sure many of you are acquainted with his content. He started his YouTube career in 2006 with some home videos. Now he has over 1.3 million subscribers, over 260,000 Twitter followers, over 40,000 followers on Twitch as well. His best friends, Ozzy and Boomy. And which are his dogs. If you guys are watching, you'll see one behind him here. <laughs> and in June of 2013, he announced his part ownership of Team Envy. He was included for a while. And he's also, if you play any shooter in the world, you've probably seen some of his videos, especially the popular ones right now with Call of Duty and Fortnite. I'm sure you have seen him. He is a legend himself, the one and the only Mr. Drifter. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Oh, doing good. I just got back from Twitchcon as well. I, oh, sound the crowd effects. is proud that you're here, I, sir. I literally just landed like an hour or two ago in Dallas from TwitchCon. So it's good to be back here in Texas. TwitchCon was a blast. I just finished playing in the Fortnite Stream Invitational, which was similar to the skirmish event, but just with more YouTubers and less pros. Though still plenty of pros to, enough to make me sweat and right. body me with their one-shot shotguns <laughs> while I'm in the land of seven. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, I was there myself. And from what I understand, it was a very hot atmosphere there in the back with a hundred computers in that in that small area and all the people that were in the tent made it a very hot experience. But before we jump into to your life and college, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about your experience there at TwitchCon. Was okay. is this your first TwitchCon, your second TwitchCon? Second TwitchCon. And, and was it any year. different? I like this one better. So last year I went with Logitech to work on some of the new stuff they were promoting and work the booth a little bit, uh, sponsored by them forever. Love the stuff. But TwitchCon was relatively new and it was more like affiliate con. It was like, everybody's a famous streamer. Everybody's an affiliate. Everybody's wanting to get famous. Right. Very few just regular fans there. So it felt like a little bit of a wanky con, like a, a, a con of, everybody's important, which is just a little strange. Right. They expanded it way, way, way more for regular fans. So there was just way more just Twitch viewers and YouTube viewers and just watchers there so that it was easier to interact with people. And so that booths didn't have to be 100% stream oriented. Like as I'm sure you saw, almost all of the booths were selling like three and $400 streaming based products, which you do not see at PAX or anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. 
promoting games and they had a huge artist alley to help support a lot of the Twitch artists, which was good. Epic, now that they're the biggest gaming studio on the planet, bought their own literal uh, football as an EU football uh, field pitch and just built a tent around it and had their own massive arena and private entrance and everything. So it was a fun event and I had a super fun time in the stream invitational. Super glad that Epic brought me out. And I won some money, and it wasn't just bottom place. It was just above bottom place. There you go. Hey, it, it, winning money. It, and the cool thing about how, how Epic's done it is they've designed this to where mainly, you, and you got the experience in the streamer, is they're trying to spread the love with the money across the whole, you know, across the whole field of players, which is very encouraging as a player. Maybe you're having fun like you. Maybe you're a pro going to play as well. You know, you don't leave empty handed and that's a good thing. Uh, is there any part of that event that sticks out in your brain for the most part, as far as the invitational goes that you maybe are like, oh, this, this is a memory I won't forget, or this is something I'm going back and I'm, I'm not going to let this happen to me again or, or something to that effect. That one. So the game that I placed best in, I came in 18th place, which was enough to get some additional prizes above the bottom pool. And I died holding a Porter rift in my hand. which at at that point, that was like the second time the circle was moving to the tiny zone. Right. It was at a time about five seconds after I died, five more people died. So it would have gone from 18th to 13th, which is a way bigger prize pool. Right. Order rift. And what happened is as this is everybody hides in their little one by one and two by twos with triangle pieces, rooftops on top. And you try to do this hyper edit, build your way to safety. I thought I had a perfectly clear path. And I was sitting there in my little one by one thinking, do I use the Porter Rift now and just take <laughs> guaranteed float over? Or do I take this clear path and a little bit of a risk and then I can use the Porter Rift if something goes wrong? And it just looked good. So I just started doing my edit and build out. There was a pro player sitting beside me, kind of being quiet. He saw me come out in front of him. So he did the super quick edit a hole. Headshot with a shotgun, insta-dead. I didn't get a chance to build. I didn't get a chance to react. It happened in about four frames. And And it made me mad because uh, in a regular event, like at home, that guy would have done 80 damage with his shotgun. Right, right. Times at a rifle. But these guys aren't going to miss. They're not going to give you any room for error. Even if he'd have been off by like a millimeter, I could have still hit that Porter Rift and increased my money. I was glad that I won anything that round. I sweated my booty off for it. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh it was a learning experience and i had a lot of fun at the event the stream invitational was fun it was it was a weird one too because you had a significant amount of pro players playing in the stream invitational you had console streamers pc streamers you had casual streamers really right. sweaty streamers and a pretty big spread on the 50 duo partners they brought in for fans as well so the skill base was all over the place Right. But it was fun. It was kind of inspiring for me to get better because I'm going I'm to let you in on a secret. I'm actually trash at Fortnite. My dad <laughs> was, uh, you know, a dumpster. And my mom is like the, the drain at Arby's. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, and, and I'm just a trash at that game. So I tried really hard to get better. And it definitely showed the effort I put in. But then playing with these other people that are way better than me, instead of getting mad about it, it was like, okay, I want to see what happens next time. If I'm fortunate enough to get to come back out. Well, you know, part of that is, I would say that you, you spread your time amongst many games, uh, creating content for many games. So unlike some of these streamers that were there, uh, who play 15, 12 hours a day of just Fortnite, unfortunately you don't, or, or fortunately, however you look at it, you don't have that luxury. You, you, you create content for multiple games, uh, beyond Fortnite and call of duty. Uh, and you've done overwatch and so many others throughout the years. 
So let's talk a little bit about that, how you got into that and finding your niche on YouTube. As I said in your intro, you know, you started in 2006 with some, you know, home videos. (laughs) And what what brought you to gaming and finding out what you do best, which is informing everybody of everything they can know about a shooter or a gun or, you know, mathematics of the damage that's happening in depth, too. Yeah, yeah. So what led you to that? I was I was bronze rank. And no matter what I said, no matter how (laughs) mathematically correct, it was just wrong because I was bronze. That that, I love that game. I never got good at it. I'm I'm with you on that same level for sure. But how did you how did you get yourself, you know, to the level you are? One point three million. Obviously, you you were doing some good. People believed you. Right. Besides League of Legends, they started believing you along the way somehow. So, so how, how did that happen? story, I'll try to condense it for the sake of sanity of people on this podcast. Uh, I always liked taking pictures and movies and little home videos and stuff. And uh, just I don't know why I liked writing stories, telling stories, stuff like that. So in 2006, I got my first digital camera and it was about the same time that YouTube became a thing. And uh, I started making those little stop motion animations and stupid home movies and uh, very, very, very small projects. And it was fun for a while, but that's all it was. And I just kind of let it go. I went to college for a few years and I was playing Halo 3. And I got a random spam message from some guy in matchmaking that says, come be an actor. I'm like, what in the an actor? (laughs) Uh, It was a body actor for a machinima project that was machinima before the company machinima when it was machine animation, machinima, machinima. And he had me stand there and do the Bob, my head thing. And a week later I saw that they made a video about Spartans and they were talking and had a plot and that kind of pulled me into this wormhole. So for a couple of days I watched uh, all these videos like uh, RB and chief, and red versus blue and stuff. And I learned about, I'd I'd known about red versus blue, but I wasn't like that into it. All this machinima stuff. And then I did some Googling and I realized I could go from body actor to director for the cost of $15 with the cheapest easy cap 2.0 capture card you've ever seen in your life. I took that. I tried my luck at it. It was all trial and error. I knew nothing about cinematography, video production, writing, just very hacky kind of projects. Some of them caught on. And the day I was going to retire, I was just going nowhere with this retire, (laughs) doing nothing. I made my last project, which was a really silly video about Spartans that didn't know how to disarm a bomb in Halo. And they got on YouTube to find instructions and it got rickrolled and everybody died. And it just so happened that a really popular Halo blogger, Haughty McBloggy, who now works at 343 Industries, shared it and it went viral and I got tons of views. And because of that and a few other things, I was able to join the Machinima Directors Program. Wow. Machinima had a program at the time that was that rewarded you based on volume of content instead of quality. And I was a college student and I realized if I cranked out X number of videos per month, I would just get a certain bonus. And that's better than a part-time job working at Arby's or McDonald's. Right. Or whatever. No, absolutely. So I did that and I was always trying to do better and uh, I had some good projects and quite a few ones that I would now say are cringy or bad or embarrassing, but that's the nature of it. And about this time, Machinima Respawn comes along, which uh, all the people that were making content hated. It's just these losers sharing gameplay. They just post good gameplay. That's all they do. They just sit there and talk about their gameplay. They don't have a script. They don't have actors. They don't do special effects. They don't do music composition or any of this kind of stuff. And we hated it. I was one of the very few guys that tried a little bit of that. And I, I tried it in the context. I was trying to develop a series and I was thinking about calling it Devil in the Details, which would show you hidden spots and neat little things and unknown stuff about games and maps. 
but I ended up getting into an argument with a hard-headed friend of mine about FMJ in Call of Duty because it shows the little one extra damage point. And he says it makes my guns deal more damage. And I'm like, bro, it doesn't do that. It just shoots through walls. And we argued and argued. And I pulled the game code out and showed him. And he got mad and said it, the game code was wrong. But it came up, I was like, well, I'll try this. And I came up with the idea for in-depth, which was just more of like a code level or just basic analytic level review of the games. Uh, right guides and i was in i was in engineering school at the time i was trying to be a mechanical engineer so i had a really really strong math background and there was very little in game coding math wise that i couldn't handle even differentials and stuff which thankfully haven't had to do much of yeah <laughs> so i took that kind of approach and turned it into the in-depth series which took off on its own it did really well for a while i badly mismanaged it early on and almost killed the series i did other games other projects i tried commentary and a lot of stuff uh, but it did catch on enough to pay the bills and I did finish college, but I decided to use none of the degrees and just try to do full-time YouTubing, which turned out to be a fantastic decision. And since then, I've been riding a wave of chaos, trying to change, trying to stay ahead, trying to continually update and upgrade content. Because if you do the same thing forever until the end of time, your channel will die. And it's, it's a hard balance between appeasing the old fans, the millions that you built up and attracting new fans, especially if they want different things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned being at the stream invitational and how the different people there were different types of content creators. Right. Mm -hmm. And similar to, you know, you talk about YouTube and having to change as you move along the way, we've seen YouTubers die, you know, throughout the years, we've seen some evolve and change. We've seen YouTubers, like you said, that, you know, has cinematics and all these, you know, incredible editing skills and some that just do gameplay. Right. And some that do, you know, factual things. As, as you were going through and trying to figure out maybe who Drifter was on YouTube and you're, and you're going through these struggles, was, was, was there always for you like a level of, I have to have my content at least look this way or do this way? Or would you say there was a time where you were like, I just have to get content out? There was both. Uh, so there were many a times where, I, especially during the machinima days, we're at a quota. And I just had to get content out. And YouTube works best on a daily or twice daily kind of schedule anyway. But despite that, I tried to maintain the highest video and audio quality that I could. There was a certain minimum standard. Uh, and I learned things on how to make it look better and get rid of the ghosting effect and do this with audio and color correct and stuff along the way. But I always had a minimum standard that I never let crap quality content out. And it's one of my advice, uh, pieces of advice, because a lot of people ask me to look at their channel or rate this and that. And one of the things I tell them is to try to step back from your content because you made it and you love it. 100%. Right, right. And just try to pretend you know nothing about it. And just watch it and then compare it to one famous YouTuber that you love. And you'll see that like, people will do like 45 second intros with loud music. And then their voice will come in and it's staticky and crackly. And the video is the wrong aspect ratio. And it's just like, these are, these are little things, but when all combined make you look really bad and you have right. to look kind of like the big boys. Obviously you can't buy a $500 XLR mic, but you can get a Yeti for 50 bucks. It's like, true. It, it's doable. They got a new Yeti coming out, by the way. I don't know if you saw yes, that. It looks really cool. Um, so as you were going through that, your biggest mm -hmm. struggles, what were some of your biggest struggles you had yourself, you know, getting to that product and saying, okay, I got to put this out and, cre and creating, you know, your career, your content. What would you say was some of the biggest struggles you had? And was there, was there a pressure on you from yourself? Like, 
Oh, absolutely. I, I, I have cool. to do this. I have to make YouTube work. Yeah, uh, because that was part of the story I omitted. Perfect question. One of the reasons I became successful is because I worked a lot to pay for a wedding. Uh, my wife wanted a nice wedding. I had no money in college, but I realized this was a game of X equals Y. It's linear. The more X you do, the more Y you get being videos right. and money. And I realized that in six months, if I went balls to the wall and cranked out a ton of videos, that it would just add up to a certain number of views and I could pay for this wedding. So that's what I did. And I worked all the time on it and just completely no-lifing it as hard as I could. Because I, I promised my wife I'd pay for this wedding. And I made enough money to pay for the wedding. But then it just kept coming in and kept growing. And that's when I realized there was an opportunity for real... Uh, what is it? A real income, a real job here. Right. More than just a hobby. So Substance. Yeah. Yeah. So, the other pressure or, or failure, my biggest failure is I, I completely did not understand my own value at the time. Mm -hmm. I had no idea about entertainment or why people watched my videos or what they wanted. I didn't know the content they wanted. I didn't know if they liked me or liked the guides or liked which part of the guides. And uh, I also, the speaking, the voice that you hear right now is not the voice that I've had for my whole life. Uh, or even go back to my earlier videos, it's a different voice. Uh, the shortest and most appropriate version of this is that my home environment was not fantastic as a child. So I learned very quickly that I need to lie and lie well and lie fast or I will die. <laughs> no, not getting, we're talking like dead, dead. Wow. So, uh, one of the tricks I learned was to completely flatten and monotone my voice, just kill it so that every answer happy. Yes. Sad. Yes. How are you doing today? Yes. Just no matter what anybody asks, you can give the same uh, answer with no emotion, which makes it super easy to lie. Because no matter how you're really feeling, it's going to come out the same. So nobody right. double thinks it. And you go back in my older content and you see that. But then in retrospect, I realized that was super boring. That People found it off-putting and weird. So I had to practice and develop normal speech patterns again so that I could make content. And in a way that was therapeutic for me and it allows me to still do that though. It's, it's a forced habit instead of a natural one. So the speaking right. patterns are a little weird sometimes. So how, how does that, if you don't mind talking a little bit about that in your past and growing up and how you've had to evolve, you know, getting yourself maybe out of the circumstance or however you grew up or what was the response in your life as a whole for maybe doing what you've done, going to college, creating this environment where you've built 1.3 million subscribers. No one handed this to you. And, you know, finding that motivation to do that, how, how, how did you get to that point? Lack of other choices. Uh, it's, uh, I don't think there's anything special about me, it's just how some people react to adversity. And you can read about this in psychological studies. Some people, when you beat them down, it give them a lot of adversity and a lot of disadvantages for whatever reason, environmental, what they were taught, natural genetics, whatever, they'll crumble. Right. Other people get pissed off and double down and fight back and are very resilient. I was fortunate enough to be in that second group. I more than a few times in my life didn't like the situation that I was in. And I worked super hard to try to get to a better situation, which uh, is where a lot of the success comes from. The downside of that is I wasn't doing it for any reason other than like a rocket ship escape from where I was. So as soon as I escaped, the quality of content and interest went way down. Hmm. It's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask, like you said, you get, you get asked a question 
you know, how do you get to where you are? Or how do I become a YouTuber? Or how do I do this? How do I do that? I, I think you hit a key point there is different people react differently. And the people that we tend to see that are the most successful, I think you would agree, are those that go through the adversity and fight the, you know, whatever it is, the struggle that they're having and the hurdles they're having to drive themselves to that point. And you obviously did that in getting you to where you are today. You know, you've gone through all this, gone through the adversity growing up and, 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 you know, changing even your voice, like you said, to, <laughs> yes. to, to, to get to where you are today. And now what is to you, what is Drifter? What is your life on a day-to-day basis? What is this, 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 you know, gamer of all knowledge on YouTube? What is that to you? Dude, I couldn't tell you because it's still changing. It's the honest to God truth. Um, my, my life has changed all much, almost as much in the last two or three years than it did in the time before that. Uh, going a little bit more negatively, I had a problem on my channel. It's very public now. Uh, withdrawal from drugs. That was super fun. Not, the, not like Coke or heroin, just prescription drugs that I should have never been taking. Right. That just wrecked me. So that was a weird struggle. I've changed my content a couple of times. I've tried new games. I've done new stuff. Uh, I'm sticking with Fortnite this time around instead of abandoning it like Overwatch a while back. Uh, <laughs> there's, I've done streams instead of videos and a couple of, we'll say, more crude things with lots more cursing and right. heart than fact. And I don't know what Driftor is to me or what the channel is or anything because it's, it's changing all the time so fast. It's just something that I do, something it's still fun. I like talking to people. I like telling stories. I like making little guides and things and being helpful. And I just, I just roll with it every day. So I, I wish there was a more nuanced or deep or amazing answer that it fulfills my life and drives me to some <laughs> inter- no, I, Hey, I, I, I wake up and I got I to gotta do something. I, I think it's I think it's telling, right, that you are, you know, a, a well-known YouTuber, obviously built built this career and you you still are changing and you don't know exactly what you're doing every moment of every day. You know, and Nobody you think, does. you know, I, I'm outside of it. And I think if I was a YouTuber and I had one point three, I would definitely know. But I don't think I would know either. You know, and and, you know, as you go throughout your days, are you let's break that down. Are you planning your YouTube content? Is this, you sit down and plan it out? What, what do you do different now? Maybe that you've learned throughout the years to keep, you know, directing your channel or to change, right. And, and be able to embrace the change that you've had so many times. Um, more recently I've hired an editor and a thumbnail artist. Uh, they do fantastic work for me because as the channel grows, the amount of like business emails, contracts, sponsor travel, which is fun, but it's time consuming increases. So the amount of time that I have to do personal edits and sit down and just grind for eight hours and stuff like that has gone down. So I've I've had to hire professional help. There was not other choices. So that was big. Um, I totally lost track of the question. What was the no, question? No, no, no. And like, you know, you uh, have this content, you're creating the content. Oh, and I think, you know, yeah. Uh, I try to, I have a board now. For the longest time, I would wake up and do a video that day. Whatever I wanted to do that day. But as I needed to plan further in the future for events and travel and release dates and stuff, I got a little idea board and I write down about 20 ideas and try to work my way through them. And generally, the ones that I don't do are either too hard or that I just wasn't interested in them to begin with. So that's it's a small thing that helps. And I do plan the content in that 
if I look at my board right now, I can see three videos that I've got planned to work on before I head to Sweden later this week. And for those videos, I do not write scripts. Most people write full scripts and kind of read them. Or I mean, there's kind of the commentators that YOLO it, but that's usually on a more personal topic instead of a guide. I do bullet point lists. I'll write a list of uh, like kind of like writing a high like that your outline for your essay you would write in high school. Your three main points, all the sub points, uh, little facts to tie in here and there. Put in a note like play this video clip at this moment and this little thing. Right. And after that, I just talk about it from the heart I or the head. Just yeah, yeah. No, no. An experience, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a great insight because everybody says they do it different. And I think that's cool to hear what you do. I do the same thing for the podcast. I have a kind of an outline with some bullet points and notes and I'm trying, you know, try to get through those or talk about those certain things. And, and so I, I can completely understand your workflow there. What about streaming? What mm-hmm. is streaming? have where, where where does it lie in the midst of all of this for you uh it's at a it's at a critical point right now where i need to choose if i'm going to continue to stream or not and where i'm going to continue to stream is a big choice as well streaming has always been fun for me ever since i was a little kid i love being a showboat i love being on stage i love being in front of the camera and kind of making an ass of myself most of the time Streaming was a very natural extension of that. And I did not get the technology to stream until like 2012, 2013 ish. And I didn't have a very good platform to stream on until YouTube gaming. Now I had Twitch, but what I wanted with streaming is I wanted to not be Drifter, the guy who makes guides. I was tired of being the guy who reads a stat chart. I was tired of being the guy who's going to talk to you about like philosophy and that. And I just wanted to sit and play games and be me and have a little bit of fun. And I thought the easiest way to do that would be to not do Call of Duty, but do League of Legends or Overwatch. Uh, But that's just not what I'm known for. So I was doing that on Twitch and it didn't really catch. And then YouTube Gaming came out that was super awesome for like two years, almost three. Did that for a long time. YouTube Gaming is basically dead now to me. If you stream on YouTube Gaming, it'll kill your channel. It'll just dead the whole thing. Uh, which is insane. That's you can. I'm actually uploading a video about that later this week. I'm sure they'll love. I, I'm interested in that because we, we we both come from Nick A30, right? We know him as a huge YouTuber that that does Fortnite, and he's been very successful in that. So I'm interested to see your video I'll, about that. I'll, 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 I'll loop back to that one. He's got a very unique strategy. Uh, so streaming for me was a way to be more personal, to really connect with my audience, because I never did anything like that before. So it was really new for them to see me as a person instead of as a editor. So to speak, and I tried to keep up with that. It was super successful, super fun. Uh, streaming is incredibly fun. I like streaming more than I like videos. I'd okay. much rather stream the same time I'd take to make a video. I'd much rather just stream that time. Unfortunately, uh, YouTube gaming has gone downhill, and it almost killed my channel. I got into, I tried some other games and other strategies that just were not successful, uh, both on Twitch and YouTube and other places. I did sign on with Mixer and I've been streaming there for the last couple of months, trying to do Fortnite there, which just isn't working as much as COD. And I'm, uh, I'm having a hard time separating, uh, or doing successful streams outside of the call of duty area, but I do still stream COD. And, um, I don't know what I'm going to do in my future because I can't stream on YouTube gaming or it'll kill my channel. And I'm trying to make this mixer thing work out, but honest to God, I think I'm failing at it. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about this. I, I have this same struggle. I, I share this same problem because 
I want to stream more, right? Time for me is, is, is way crazy right now because um, I don't do this full time yet. But I want to talk about these platforms a little bit. This is interesting. I didn't have this to talk about, but I'm very curious from you to get your knowledge on this. You've had, you know, 40,000 followers on Twitch. I mean, yes. you, at you, this point, you, that's very old followers. I don't Twitch very much. For, right. Twitch is a fine platform. I actually like Twitch. It just hasn't panned out for me for a lot of reasons. There was always another offer on the table when it came time to go back to Twitch. Yeah. So, I mean, you built a, a you built viewers there, right? And you've mm -hmm. built viewers on YouTube gaming. You've built viewers now on Mixer. Correct. And when you look at this, like, what is, what is the right choice? Number one for a YouTuber and what's the right choice? If do you personally think, right? This is just your opinion. What mm -hmm. do you think is the right choice for somebody that's looking to get into streaming right now? Is it take Mixer because it's got more options, right? It's not as convoluted or is it, you know, just build a YouTube channel? Obviously, probably not. Since you said it would kill your channel or, or hey, go fight the fight and get lucky on Twitch. That's you more or less summed it up. So I will loop back to the YouTube thing and Nick A30, dude's killing it, crushing it. Uh, so is typical gamer and a few other people. But in general, if you look at YouTube gaming streaming, you'll notice that far less people stream on YouTube gaming, far less big channels bother with it. The reason for that is I have come to believe that streaming sort of deranks your channel on the back end algorithm because they got rid of the chronological sub boxes a while back, right? right? And now it's sort of based on a, I'll call it a channel hotness rating. How many people are clicking those thumbnails, which is why clickbait is so damn successful because the algorithm loves it. Um, and streams no longer publish as full videos. They publish under past live streams. But for some reason, my suspicion is that the algorithm treats that separate publishing the same as a normal publishing. So let's say I stream and so many people watch it, it gets views. And then when it processes and pub I have my microphone publishes as a video, it gets put in that second thing and not nearly as many people will click on it as a normal video. And the algorithm sees, oh man, that had really low interest on this channel. So that's not so great. And I do it two or three more times. They're like, this guy makes a bunch of dud videos, so probably shouldn't show his thumbnails in the sub box too much. Uh, and that was what was going on, my suspicions, and I didn't know it. So I quit streaming. I signed on with Mixer. I still stream occasionally, like big events, game launches, no more than one a month. That's my max. And honest to God, within two or three weeks of quitting, maybe a month, my income and revenue and sub growth all doubled. And now it's doing about four times what it was back then. Wow. Just from not streaming and not changing my content whatsoever. If you've seen the, the argument thread on uh, Twitter with about 40 YouTubers up in Fwiz's butt about it, I'm not alone. Lots of other people agree. Right. So, uh, now, Nick A30 is different because Nick A30 built his entire channel on streaming. He has very few fans there that are watch to watch videos. They're really there for the streams. Right. But I believe he knows something about this algorithm because I noticed if you go to Nick A30's channel, he does not let his streams publish as VODs. He makes them all unlisted at the end of the day, and he'll most likely post the highlight. Very rarely does he let a full stream go live. Sometimes you can find them in like an unlisted playlist or like the old, like the collected live streams, but he doesn't let them publish because it'll like derank the channel. And Typical Gamer and a few other people that are at the very tippy top that just get like five or 600K per stream can kind of skip that because their, their videos are just going to be at the very top of the list no matter what. But the majority of people that have been streaming have gone to unlisting or privating videos so that they never get touched by the algorithm and the channel doesn't get the, get the touch by the love stick, so to speak.
That's super interesting to me. I, most people listening probably have, but for me, it, it tells a lot about what's going on on the platform yeah. and what's happening, uh, what's happening there. So that's my belief. And my, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. It's something my wallet believes in as well. And that's <laughs> very, it's a very strong motivator for a lot of people. Like I think Twitch is a fantastic platform. They're clearly number one leading and streaming in a lot of different ways and reasons. Twitch is the easiest platform to stream to and the widest variety of content. It's probably got the most people. So it is harder to compete there, but it's a really good ecosystem to grow in. Twitch has a lot of support for creators and there's not much wrong with Twitch, except that it's sort of the standard option. And there's a lot of people there. Mixer is new and fresh. Mixer is the smallest player in the industry right now. They've got their back to Microsoft and they're trying to focus super hard on the technology end of things and do really neat streaming tech like zero delay. They have interactive stuff. I think it's already out where you can like, let's say I'm playing Fortnite and it only works on Xbox is Microsoft stuff. I can let a donator take over my controller and play live from my stream because there's ah. no delay. They can play at home. Interactive stuff, interactive streams. They're big on interactivity. They're pushing a lot of stuff. Uh, I shouldn't disparage my partner, but they're trying to grow right now. They're small. Mixer is small. Right. In some ways, it's easier to compete in a smaller pond. You don't have to be that big of a fish. You can grow a little faster, but their limit, their cap on how famous you can get on Mixer is still small at the moment, but they're growing. And I think they're going to grow on the future, which is one of the reasons I'm there. And finally, Facebook. Oh my God, they got those Zuck bucks and they are throwing out and they are recruiting and they are blowing up their platform and implementing changes. And you can just see that there is an intense corporate interest from Facebook and making that successful from top to bottom. That's, that's got to be like one of the premier projects at Facebook right now. They are throwing yeah. down. Oh, absolutely. I personally can't stream there because I think Facebook is an evil company that does terrible things to people's data. And uh, I made it really clear to some of the recruiters that I would rather be homeless than I would stream on Facebook <laughs> for moral reasons. And pretty much everybody thought I was crazy. Yeah, I've, I mean, probably most people would think you were crazy for that. But I, 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 you know, you have to have your morals in your line somewhere for sure. Before we jump into talking a little bit about COD and, you know, maybe even a little bit more about Fortnite, I, w- I want to ask you, now that you have established this and, and you're moving forward, you know, changing, continually changing your channel, looking at the streaming platforms, and we have people like, you know, Drake stepping into this equation, Steph Curry stepping into the gaming industry as a whole, you know, mainly backing competitive gaming. Where do you see this going? Do you imagine maybe more streaming platforms coming out? Do you imagine, you know, more of these teams and by these high level people happening? We saw this year, you mentioned you got a little bit lucky on your stream, you know, or your YouTube, right? Somebody published a video, all of a sudden it blew up, kind of motivated you to keep going. That happened. Ninja plays a Drake. I think that was a big mark in his career. He would say pushes him to, you know, multiple hundred thousand viewers. All of a sudden he blows up. He's got a tour bus at Twitch. You know what I mean? Um, And you have, you know, Dr. Lupo, I personally know Ben, Ben has said, you know, he's come on the show and said, you know, he he got it lucky, you know, blew up, you know, Tyler with a grenade and PUBG, And so he happened to have that platform. And I've heard throughout this year, probably more than ever, even from Courage when he was on uh, Hector's Dude, podcast. Courage has had the most incredible year. Courage, like, Courage is probably number two year right next to Ninja right now. Courage is killing it. Yeah, and, and even he said, like, a little bit of it, a lot of it is luck, right? Like, you just got to be prepared for that moment you have luck. And you I have agree. these other people stepping in. Is it, 
you know, are we going to see maybe a more defined way to get there or is it going to be start getting dominated by money? What, what, what's going to happen? Um, there will always be a little bit of the big get bigger because it's easier for them. I believe as long as the current platforms maintain their ease of access and stream for free, like YouTube right now is still anybody can make a channel and stream. Same with Twitch and Mixer. As long as it's that environment where anybody can join and stream and it just sort of promotes whoever's popular and that popularity can change over time, most certainly then there will still be explosive growth from people that today watching this video, maybe literally watching this podcast are nobody in the industry, three followers, they stream for themselves and their mom and whatever that those people will always be there. And this is a question people asked me like five years ago, is YouTube dead? Is it too late to be a YouTuber? Should I not bother? And I'm like, no, in the next two weeks, there'll be channels that explode to like 5 million subs that I've never heard of. And they'll come out of nowhere. And I'm like, what are these people doing? That's going to be real. I do think that as older money and more traditional entertainment gets in, there will be way more rewards for the big guys. And yeah. it will be a little harder to reach that sort of mega status like Ninja and Lupo and Courage and some of those guys or Dr. Disrespected, which is mostly Twitch streamers at the moment, which is strange given that most of the YouTube streamers aren't getting quite the same prominence, even though they're pulling similar or better numbers, depending on the day. A right. Spanish YouTube stream dude had like 1.2 million people watching his stream, which is ludicrous. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. And um, the thing that worries me or locks it down is if old media companies start wanting into this streaming thing. And that kind of happened with Facebook. Facebook is an older company and they're just like, we want a slice of the streaming pie because Amazon has a slice and Google has a slice. And Microsoft is like, well, we need our slice. So we're going to do Mixer. But when other companies like Warner Brothers streaming, or I've heard rumors about a Disney streaming service, not just the Disney Netflix, but you can stream on the Disney platform stream thing they make maybe or huh. uh, twitter i think twitter gaming has a streaming thing now that i don't know what they're doing with it um there's going to be a lot more companies that invest in streaming it's going to be a free-for-all there's going to be a lot more contracts a lot more people just like fielding agents like we'll offer you so many dollars to stream on this platform instead of your main and we'll buy this contract out here and do this thing and That'll be good for people like me because I can shamelessly collect on more money <laughs> shopping around. <laughs> but there may come a point in the future where it is all, well, we only allow 100 people to stream on our premium platform and you have to be certified with blah, blah, blah. And I think that'll be bad for the whole industry, but it may happen if, uh, if it gets too big. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. I'm no. kind of rambling at this point. No, I I, I completely agree. I, and and I'm interested to see where it is in five to ten years and so forth. And I think it's interesting that you have so much to say about streaming being a YouTuber because you see the growth on that side of the business. Um, yeah. And we we see more and more pro players, you know, going to also streaming. Right? Used to you didn't see COD players always streaming. Nope. Now, now they're streaming all the time, creating these personalities. Nate Shots made it very apparent that he is trying to help build all his people that are on 100T as personalities as well, right? Really pushes mm -hmm. them to drive content, what he did, really where he blew up. You know, Hector obviously probably being the godfather of all of that and really, you know, pushing people to you know, all optic to really create content. And... You had a little bit of time in this space as well. When we talk about, you know, Drake and Steph and all these people getting involved in teams, you got involved in Envy. And how did that happen? How did you, what made you go, you know what? I think I want to be part of a pro team. Uh, they approached me. It was a very simple deal. I was always brand friendly with them. 
and knew a lot of the people. And they were at a time where this was a time before there were esports organizations. They were just teams before there were leagues back uh, when you do your musical chairs, roster mania. Yeah. yeah, Call yeah. Of Duty was dominant and everything else, except maybe league was a joke. And they just offered me a small portion of envious. I was not a, a big owner in envy, just a small portion for uh, promotion. Just you've supported our brand. You helped us with these things. You're part of, you advertise stuff for us. And they offered me a small bit. And I took that small bit and I also did a little bit of consulting and advice and just little bits here and there. But mostly I was sort of a content creator with equity, but that allowed me to say I was an owner <laughs> and it, yeah, it yeah, looked yeah. really good. Uh, when it came time for Envy to sort of graduate from the small org to the big boy league, they needed fundraising. So they did a share buyout of me and some of the other YouTubers that were there. And they resold that equity to invest in the league team and the CSGO team and all the like the Overwatch team and all that stuff. So that's how I ended up getting out of Envy. And it's interesting that you should say that because when I was there, I was begging, begging Hastro, force your pro players to stream, make them stream. And his attitude at the time was, and I think it, it actually panned out for him in the long run, is that they are there to win championships. They need to focus on winning and I don't, they don't have to stream. I want an organization with wins, not an organization of streamers. And I just kept telling him like, you can have a mediocre team and it'll make more money if they all stream. Cause for a long time, that's what optic was in call of duty. Optic wasn't winning championships. Optic was coming in middle place. They were streaming optic craft or whatever their Minecraft thing was. Uh, yeah, but they were killing it. They were the biggest, most well-known brand because Hector made them make content and do competitive stuff. So when their org became successful, then they had time to train or recruit new players or change things around and they could continue to win while still making content, which is why you get such a big juice when you join Optic or uh, some of this other sort of stuff. That's clearly the way to do it. FaZe did it really well too. I think FaZe had a rougher start in competitive. They didn't get as many wins early on, but they're doing much better now. Yeah, they've done really good at creating those personalities, which we saw this past week in Fortnite, right? With Tifu, you know, coming oh, on yeah. top along with Cloaksy, which was an incredible event. What about Ghost Gaming, man? They Dude, came out of nowhere and threw over, down. Over a million dollars in earnings in Fortnite so far. That's just in two seasons, they've made over a million dollars in earnings. Yo, until yesterday, I didn't know who Ghost Gaming was. I'm not going to lie. And I look it up and they're crushing it. Dude, that, that competitive event was like a wake-up call for me. I, honest to God, I think they need to change the structure to reward kills more because That's 65 all the pros are calling alive out to for the 8th circle is ludicrous. Like, yeah. That part is fun to watch. Getting there is really boring. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I think they definitely have some things. I also wish, personally, I, I think one of the things that would fix this heel off BS that's happening is that if they would, once the circle gets to final circle, instead of closing it all the way, if they would make the storm come down from top and, <laughs> and start destroying structures as it drops down, then people would have to drop down. And that would force that fight, at least for a, from a viewer standpoint, it'd be way more interesting than... Than watching what that about happen. this uh so they have they have bonus like twenty thousand dollars for most kills or whatever right right what if it was one thousand dollar per kill for every competitor jeez louise because then every time because i had this problem too i my, one of my worst placements was when i thought i could just kill a guy and he turned out to be a really good pro and i got <laughs> fucking bodied uh, but i was playing like i was playing at home and instead of getting safe i was like this guy's not paying that much attention i think i can go up and murder him right 
Uh, but I learned my lesson and everything else since then was super conservative and just can't be like a little wiener. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you, I would be too. I, I would but be imagine, too. imagine the difference in attitude. If every kill was a grand or, and then every kill after five was two grand or just something like that. Then when they see these people and they think, ah, you know, I'll just let them go and I'll place higher. They think I could really use an extra grand or two. Yeah, that's just, I mean, of course, they're already throwing out so much money. So, what does it really matter? Right. I mean, but that would be essentially you're talking a hundred grand, 99 grand a, a game, right? Because there's 99 people that are going to die. You know, they're going to make money. The price, you're right. But dude, they're already paying minimum prize pools of 750 to every player per game in the stream invitational. I mean, I, I wonder, I wonder if they did a hundred bucks. I think that's doable, like a hundred bucks a kill. Right, like hundreds not enough when your when your placements are thousands. Yeah, but some you of these guys. But cool. the thing, the thing that I think would mix it up is some of these guys are young, right? They're new to a pro scene. They've never been in pro games before, and for mm -hmm. them to think that that I can walk in there and win an extra thousand dollars by getting ten kills total, that pays for my trip here. Like, I think some of them will do it. I don't. I don't think any of them are that dumb because in a pro event. What's harder, getting 10 kills or squeaking it out to 29th place? Like, true. Yeah. Getting 10 kills in a bit. I think the high kill, like those, the high kill games were like seven, eight. I think the most was nine or 10 the whole weekend. Yeah, the whole weekend, uh, 10. And, and a lot of that's 10. at the very end where they're like kind of popping people in the storm and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be interesting, though. You're right. A thousand bucks. I mean, it's already enough money. It would be, you know, it would be fun. It'd be fun for them to do that for like the the winter finals. You know what I mean? They're just like, all right, we've done everything normal till this point. Now every kill cost is a thousand dollars. I bet you would see some crazy stuff go down. Like I hope so. You're right. A thousand dollars would would definitely entice those people to play at a different level. Um and not worry so much about you know getting to the final circle so they can hopefully pop off well guys as always thank you so much for listening we hope you guys enjoyed the show shoot us for you on itunes leave us a comment on podbean you guys seriously make the show and drifter why don't you share with everybody where they can find you throughout the week if they somehow missed your content tell them how they Pretty can find it slash drifter on everything any platform that i'm on slash drifter that's it guys make sure Whatever you go platform you use just type that in you'll find it easy social media everywhere drifter guys d-r-i-f-t and zero and then mm -hmm. r you guys can find them there as always and until next time guys dance out those kills and boast in those victory royales mm -hmm.